you can remove all the commas and be legal, right? Because it wasn't in the original language. And so you could remove all the periods uh, and change the sentence, you know? And of course, you know, the scholars, they generally know what things go together, but they don't always know where, where a writer started one thought and ended another thought. Um, they're just kind of assuming that that seems to be right, but, you know, they don't really know. They didn't hear the spoken word because that's really the only ultimate way that you get it is to hear the original spoken word and how they would have spoken that, those particular things. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, you learn all those things when, when you're studying and, and they're helpful for us to know that doesn't diminish the word of God. You know, the, the translators did a pretty good job overall. Uh, but it, do, it is helpful to look at multiple translations because if you're, you know, some people are King James only people, right? And, and they're just really adamant about it, King James only. And of course, what year was the King James translation written? It was 1611, right? Is when it when it was first um, when it was first published, right? It, it took many years to publish it. Uh, and if you think that the King James is the only translation, then what did the church do for the prior 1611 years, right? Uh, and there were multiple English translations, actually good translations before the King James. The Geneva Bible was written in uh, the the most common one is probably the 1599 version of the Geneva Bible. Uh, so it was published uh, 12 years before the, uh, the King James, but it, it even goes back to about 1560. It was when the first edition of it came out. Uh, and that's the Geneva Bible. It's the one that the pilgrims carried over on the Mayflower. That's the one that Jamestown people used as their main text to study by and to worship the Lord with, not the King James Version. Uh, and so, uh, but since, you know, the majority of, of the English speaking people were under king were under the kings of England uh, they were motivated to do away with all the other translations other than King James right and so that's that's one reason why King James became so popular is because the king just said it's illegal to own any other translation uh, but you know the Geneva Bible it was it was law in Switzerland where the Geneva Bible was written that you had to have a Bible in your house uh, because you know having a Bible was kind of a big deal right uh, they they were before uh, um, before Gutenberg made his printing press, and that was in, the, I guess, in the 1500s, 1600 time frame, all Bibles were handwritten. That'd be a lot of work to handwrite a Bible, right? Uh, and so, um, so you know, all, all the history of the Bible and all the history of the translations, um, uh, uh, personally, I enjoy studying about that, reading about, you know, how uh, these translations were brought together and... Um, uh, and really, it's, it's amazing that, uh, you know, it's been 2,000 years since the Lord was here. And it's been about, before that, it was about 2,000 years before Moses and about 2,000 years before that for Adam. And you think about the 6,000 years of human history, how the Lord has managed to, to safeguard the Word of God through wars and through, you know, uh, fightings and, uh, and all the history. I mean, how many times was Israel invaded? And all the scrolls that they had, all the original documents, and somehow the Lord managed to protect all of those for centuries. You know, nowadays they couldn't get rid of the Bible because it's, it's, just, it's literally everywhere. It's on the Internet and everywhere. So there's no way you could lose, the, the, lose it. But, you know, back then there was one copy of the book of Isaiah. Uh, and the Lord managed to safeguard that all the way through uh, to, to us until we got a copy of it, you know. Uh, and so... Uh, and, and even if you go back and look at, uh, there are slight differences in the original 
text because we don't have any actual original documents of any of the Bible books, right? Because the originals were, you know, who knows where they're at. But if you look at the, the differences between all the copies, they're very, very minor. Usually it's a, it's a comma here or a space here or there. Very, very minor uh, differences in, in all the copies. And you look at any other document that's, that's old, you know, like some of the old Greek stories, you know, the, the uh, Homer and the Iliad, and Odyssey, those types of things. And you look at the differences in the copies of those, they're huge differences. Uh, and, uh, and that's because the Lord had moved upon men of old to, to safeguard the word of God and to protect it. And, uh, and a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the Hebrew writers, when they were copying the, the Bible, uh, when they would get to the name of the Lord, you know, which uh, in the Old Testament it was it was Yahweh or Jehovah. When they would get to that, they would stop and they would go and wash and go clean themselves before they would write the name of the Lord. It's a four letter word in, in the Hebrew. Uh, before they would write his name, they would go and wash. You know, and that's how much honor they gave to the word of God. And so, you know, I thank God that he protected the word of God uh, for all of his centuries and brought it to us. And, uh, and that's why, you know, it, it's really... You know, of course, we preach out of the King James, and, you know, I just personally, I like the way that it sounds, but uh, I don't have any, any problem with other translations. There are some that, you know, I would encourage you not to, not to look at. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, it is helpful to look at other translations uh, because the Lord always has a way to grant different translators grace upon their life to bring out nuances from the original languages that previous translators just didn't get, just missed, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of of comparing different translations and seeing what the different authors bring out. Um, and um, uh, it's it's been helpful to me because sometimes, you know, you read a translation, you read a verse in the King James and you're like, I'm not really sure what this means. And then you go read it and, you know, I can I, I can put up my my computer and 250 translations and read them all. And uh, and, you know, for the most part. 249 will be almost exactly the same, you know, and then one will be just slightly different. And so, you know, it's pretty rare that um, um, that one translation is completely different as far as the meaning than every other one. Usually they just bring out more of the, the intent of that particular verse there. So anyway, just, uh, not trying to give you a, 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 a history of the written Bible, but it, it's helpful, amen, for us to know that. Uh, and it should give us confidence that the word of God is secure. Uh, in that, um, you know, I talked to a person one time and they were just, they just casually said, well, you know, the Bible is full of, full of uh, contradictions. And normally I don't say anything, but I said, no, it's not. Uh, just because you don't understand why these two ideas are different doesn't mean that they're different. It just means that you don't understand why they're different. And, if you, and as students of the word, uh, sometimes we have to go and read more information. We can't just assume that, well, there's just an error. You know, they said Bob over here and Joe over here. And so, therefore, there, it's, there's an error, right? God changed his mind and what he wanted to say. Uh, I've never found that to be the case. Every time I've found something that appears to be inconsistent from my uh, standpoint, uh, I'll go and uh, read further and deeper and, and, um, and then resolve that conflict in my own heart and studies in that. So have confidence in the word of God that the Lord himself has watched over it, protected it, and brought it to us to, uh, to study because the word of God is, is what God uses to reveal himself to us. Amen. By the power and revelation of the Holy Spirit. So why don't we pray and we'll get into the word tonight. So Father, we thank you for the word of God. And we thank you for the blessings of heaven. And Father, we thank you for watching over us and speaking to us and living on the inside of us, Father. We depend upon your spirit for revelation, insight, wisdom, teaching, and instruction. 
And Father, we give ourselves wholly to you, to your word. We thank you, Father, that it will be good seed sown into good soil and produce much fruit in our lives. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We'll continue there tonight. So we've been talking about the different types of prayers and, um, uh, and what they mean for us and how we're supposed to use them. And, uh, and of course, um, uh, we're, we're down to prayer number 6, right? So we went through the other six types of prayers, uh, the other five before this one. Uh, and uh, if you remember, we talked, I think, first about the prayer of faith. We're not going to go back over all, you know, we'd have to spend six more weeks going back over all of them. But, uh, but the prayer of faith, you remember, never uses the word if, right? It just declares what the word of God says and believes it to be so. But then a prayer of consecration and dedication that Jesus used in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, you do use the word if. Lord, if it be thy will, then I'll do this or that as you instruct me to do that. So uh, and that, uh, I like to use those particular two examples because uh, those are two different things that you consider when you're praying. So if you're, if you're believing God for a, a job or a house, you don't ever use the word if because uh, the prayer of faith doesn't need to use the word if. You're supposed to find out what the will of God is first and then pray that out as if it's so uh, versus, uh, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do, but if you want me to do that, I'll do that. So the, the word if is generally used when you're trying to find out the will of God and you want to know the will of God and you're willing to do the will of God. Uh, but uh, we know that uh, in Colossians 1.9, the Bible says that, that he will fill us with the real knowledge of his will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So you can know the will of God. People say, oh, you just never know what God wants you to do. Well, that's not true. He literally says that he can fill you with the knowledge of his will. So the Christian, right, not the, world, uh, the worldly person, but the Christian, the child of God, ought to walk in this life knowing the next step they should be taking. They should, you know, a lot of people just wander through, I just don't know what I should be doing. I just don't know what I should be doing. Well, then go into your prayer closet until you come out and find out because he said he'd fill us with the knowledge of his will. And if you don't know what you're supposed to do, then that's when you go to prayer, prayer and say, Lord, you said that you would fill me with the knowledge of, who, of your will. So you would use the prayer of faith in, in order to do that. You'd go to use the prayer of faith and say, Lord, you said this in your word that you would fill me with the knowledge of your will. So I'm asking you to fill me with the knowledge of your will. Show me what you want me to do. So, uh, and then you conclude that prayer with, and I thank you, Lord, you will do that because you said you would. So that's the prayer of faith. It's a declaration of really what the word of God says. And you're just repeating the words that, Lord, you said this. I believe that you're going to do what you said you would do. Uh, and, you know, a lot of, that sounds pretty radical, but some Christians, you know, Lord, I know you said this, but uh, I know you're not going to do it, right? Uh, like healing, right? I know, Lord, that you said you can heal, but I don't believe you're going to. Well, that's saying that the Lord is contradicting his word, right? Or that you don't believe his word. So we use the prayer of faith to obtain the, the promises that belong to us. Uh, and then, uh, of course, in our lives, our goal and desire is to do the will of God. So once we know the will of God, then, then we use the prayer of consecration, dedication uh, to say, Lord, I'll, I'll be glad to do your will all the days of my life. Uh, and so then the, then the other prayers that we got into, um, but uh, we've been talking about the prayer of, of tongues, praying with other tongues. Uh, and of course, in our circles, right, that's, that's uh, an important prayer in other circles. That's, that's uh, uh, I mean, it's almost sin and, and devilish. And, uh, you know, I mean, people will tell you that uh, even today that speaking in other tongues is of the devil. Uh, it's like, well, you know, it's been 2,000 years, right, since, since Jesus was on the earth. And this has been in the Bible and the New Testament. One of the best documented doctrines in the New Testament is speaking with other tongues. It's not even a hard doctrine to understand. It's literally, uh, uh, in fact, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's turn over there. You've got an entire chapter 
uh, dedicated just to that doctrine. And yet people, you know, I remember this one minister I used to listen to. He was on the radio a lot and just an excellent Bible teacher. But he did not like speaking in tongues. And he said, if, if someone spoke in tongues, I would not want them to be at my church, you know. Uh, and I thought, that's pretty harsh, you know. And, and um, uh, I did learn something from Brother Hagen uh, where he said that, um, he said, I never cut people off just because I don't agree with all their doctrine because uh, he said this one person that used to speak against faith because he was a great faith teacher, uh, they would speak against faith. Uh, and, and he said one time in one particular service they were preaching against faith. Now he had invited them to his school to, to speak and they were speaking against faith at, at Rama, which seems kind of odd because, I mean, why would you go and speak against faith at Rama? I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but they were... Uh, and he said, but at the end of, by the end of the service, they, they spoke and, and gave an answer to a question he'd had for many years in the Word of God. Uh, and so, you know, you just eat the hay and leave the six, right? If somebody's preaching a bunch of weird stuff, you just forget all that stuff. And hopefully you can find one, good, one or two good things uh, to believe, amen, that they're speaking. Uh, and so, um, uh, now, uh, well, we're there in 1 Corinthians 14, but just real quick, I want to read uh, Acts uh, 1.8. Uh, we went through of course, all the book of Acts and showed how every time they were filled with the Spirit, they spoke with other tongues um, and that uh, it, is, it is a sign that the Lord gives to us, a blessing that He gives to us as part of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Some people, well, you know, you don't have to speak with other tongues. Well, you don't have to get saved either, right? I mean, uh, you just do whatever you want to do. Uh, and so, uh, but, and of course, around here, you know, we've said that, there, that the Lord never intended for there to be a Pentecostal church, right? He never intended to be everyone, all these Christians, and out of that Christians, a few would be Pentecostals. He always intended all of the church to be Christian and all of the church to be Pentecostal. It was never supposed to be a separate group of crazy people, right? It was always supposed to be everybody did this because he said in Acts 1.8, uh, he said, uh, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, if you remember in, by Acts chapter 1, the disciples were born again because of John chapter 20, right? Remember, Jesus came and breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. So they got born again in John chapter 20. Now they're in Acts chapter 1, waiting to receive the, the promise of the Spirit. But they received the promise of the Spirit in, in John chapter 20, but that was for the purpose of being born again. But now Jesus wants an, another work, still the same Holy Spirit, but another work here to receive power. That word power there is dunamis. It's the supernatural miracle work and power of God. So the 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 work of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20 was to get them born again, to get the wells of salvation springing up into everlasting life, like he said in John chapter 4. But in, in Acts chapter 1, he's talking about the second work of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life, which is to be the way he called it here in Acts chapter 8, uh, that the Holy Spirit would come upon you. In, in verse 5 of the same chapter, he called it being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so... Uh, the Lord instructed the whole church, right? This is the whole church right now. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is the whole church right now. He said, go uh, and don't go anywhere. And if you go back to Luke, uh, Luke chapter 24, he said, don't go anywhere until you're in the power, right? So go wait in Jerusalem, tarry in Jerusalem. That's where the Pentecostal, you ever heard of tarrying, right? Tarrying. Well, the only people ever tarried was these group right here until the day of Pentecost. It was never intended to tarry after that, but but you know anybody's tarried for a day, a year, a month, a year? Some, some people tarried for decades, waiting on the Holy Spirit. But the only time the Lord ever told to tarry was right here. After that, everyone got it as soon as they wanted it. Uh, and so because the Lord, being who he is, he likes things done the way he wants them done. So he wanted the, the Passover to be the crucifixion. He wanted the, the Pentecost, which was one of the seven uh, great 
festivals of uh, feasts in in, um, in Israel. So you, he, he, you had the, the festival of the Passover, which was the celebration of the original Passover in, in, uh, in Exodus and Moses, right? And then he wanted the Pentecost to be the, the time that he, that he uh, deposited the Holy Spirit in, into the lives of the Christians. Now, that's just the way he wanted to do it. He could have done it the day after. He could have done it the morning of, right? He could have done it any time he wanted to, but that's just the way he wanted to do it. So that's the way he did it. Uh, and so... And partly was because he wanted to do some teaching and instruction to the church. Now, see, the church existed after uh, the resurrection, right? As soon as he was resurrected, he came and, and breathed on some folks. So that's when the church started. Really was when the, the first people received the Holy Spirit to be born again. And so then he spent 50 days instructing them and, and teaching them different things. This is part of it, right? Uh, Mark chapter 16 was part of it about what you're going to do when you're due with power. Lay hands on the sick that recover, speak in new tongues. So... He gave him a lot of instructions in those 50 days in preparation for when the Spirit of God came uh, in, in the, the book of Acts here. So he said, uh, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit come upon you. You shall receive supernatural miracle work and power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So uh, the Lord didn't want any witnessing to go on until the supernatural power came upon the church. And it was always the intent of the Lord that, that we witness by the power of the Holy Spirit, not with trickery and intellectual games and, you know, cool sayings and Roman road and four spiritual laws. And, um, you know, I mean, and I'm not opposed to those things. Cool. Remember, remember, remember those chiclet little books there for witnessing? Remember those little books, black and white books, you know? I used to love those things because I didn't know anything when I first got saved. And, and they had a lot of good information in them, right? And so I'd read all those little chiclet books and, and learned a lot of things from them. I haven't looked at them in many years, so who knows if the doctrine was right. I didn't know anything, so everything was new to me. Uh, I didn't have anything to, to say whether it was right or not. But, uh, but the Lord never intended for us to, to, to outsmart uh, the lost. The Lord intended us for outpower the lost and to go to the lost with power. And, and if you look at the example, uh, maybe we'll look at it here in just a second, but, but it was always the intent of the Lord, don't do anything, don't witness to a single person, don't talk to anybody. Until you're first born again, which occurred in John chapter 20, and until you are baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, then you can go be witnesses to me. And that was always the plan of who? Who, who wrote this? Who, who spoke these words? Jesus did, right? Who, what position does Jesus hold? Oh, yeah, I mean, you can give a whole list of things, right? In the, in the context, it, he's the head of the church, right? So he's directing the church. Well, we're the church, right? He's the head of the church. He's directing the church. Here's how I want you to operate. I want you to do nothing until you have power and then go do everything. And that was always the intent of the, the head of the church, right? And yet, how many people have, have uh, I mean, if you're in the Pentecostal world, how many people have you taught? Well, that's not for me. You know, I, that, you know that, that's for them over there. But it's the head of the church who gave this to us, right? And, and if we say that's not for us, then we're telling the head of the church, well, you know, Jesus, I, I know you know a few things, but, you know, you're, not, you're just not right about this Holy Spirit stuff. You, 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 went, we, you went a little too far, and, you know, that's, that's for crazy people. We're going to be just the calm, you know, sedate ones over here, Mr. Head of the Church. And so, you know, next time when you write your Bible, do it right. Say, you know. Now, of course, we would never say it that way. That would be disrespectful, and, and we'd fear the wrath of the Lord, of course. Uh, but that's, what some, you know, that's really what you're saying when, you said that, uh, when you're saying the Holy Spirit's not for me. 
And so uh, if you look then at Acts chapter 8, uh, just real quick, and we're going to get back to, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But if you go to Acts chapter 8, uh, now if you remember there, uh, this, is, this is verse 5 here. It says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Now, if you remember, who was Philip? Where did we first find out about Philip? He was a deacon, right? Acts chapter 6, the seven deacons were appointed by the apostles to wait on the tables. That's what the word uh, uh, deacon means, is, the, is a server, right? So they were waiting on the tables of the widows. Philip was one of the deacons, right? So he was, he was assigned to wait on tables. So... Uh, he was never assigned to run the pastor, right? That's, you know, today deacons, they, they think their job is to run the pastor. Their job is supposed to wait on tables. But now, so, so the Acts 1-8 that Jesus gave to the church, that was to the whole church. That wasn't just to the ministers, right? When he said, go into all the world to preach the gospel, that wasn't just to the ministers. That was to the whole church. The job of the church, the job of the individuals in the church is to win the lost. It's not the pastor's job to win the lost. It's not the evangelist's job to win the lost, really. If you go, I mean, they do win the lost. But if you go to Acts or, or Ephesians 4.11, which we covered, the purpose of all the fivefold ministry gifts, including the evangelists, is to instruct and to teach the church in how to do these things. So when we leave this building, of course, when I leave this building, you know, I'm not, I'm not really a pastor. I'm a Christian like everybody else. I'm supposed to win the lost. So all of us as a whole are supposed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when we leave this building, then we win the lost and we bring them into the church. And then the ministry gifts, the fivefold ministry gifts, are there to instruct the church, to teach them and to, to train them and to, and to instruct them in the word of God so that they can go back out and win more lost, right? That's really the, the intent of the, how the Lord set it all up. And so now you got Philip here uh, and uh, it says that he went down to Samaria and preached Christ unto them. So that now Philip is doing in Acts chapter 8 as a spirit-filled, tongue-talking Christian, what the Lord in, had told them to do in Acts 1-8, right? Uh, and so we, we're here in Acts chapter 8. And Philip went down and preached to him, and the people with one accord, in verse 6, gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So now Philip is just a deacon, right? Now later on in Acts chapter 21, he's called an evangelist, so the Lord promoted him from just being a Christian, right, to then being a deacon, to... to now, between Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 21, somewhere in there, the Lord promoted him to be an official evangelist because he's called Philip the evangelist. But here, he's just Philip, not Philip the evangelist. He's just Philip. Uh, but he's preaching, and he's doing signs and wonders and miracles. Well, he's doing signs and wonders and miracles because of Acts 1-8, that the Holy Ghost came upon him to receive power, supernatural miracle work and power. So it was always the intent of the Lord that, that that's how he set up the church. He set up the church that the church leadership was to instruct the Christians and the Christians were supposed to go with power out into the world and win the lost. You know, it's really easy to get saved if you see somebody, you know, raise up your child from the dead or, you know, heal your grandma or, you know, uh, grow an arm out or a leg out. People are really encouraged to hear what you have to say after that, right? If you go and try and trick them, you know, with some kind of, you know, in intellectualism, you know, that's... That, a lot of people don't care anything about that, right? Uh, and so, and that was, that's, now this, that's the design as far as we can see, you know, that's the design that the head of the church laid out for the church is, is don't do anything and you got power, now you got power, now go into all the world and do these things. And so one of the aspects of power then is speaking with other tongues. Uh, and so now let's go back to, to 1 Corinthians and then we can continue, continue there. So um, we're in chapter 14, but just real quick, let's back up in, in chapter 12. 
Uh, and let's read in verse 8, because the uh, tongues can be confusing. There's a lot of information in, in these uh, two chapters about tongues, and we want to make sure we get it correct. And so in Acts chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, uh, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. So uh, who's, who's doing these things? It's the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, so who sent the Holy Spirit? Jesus said the Holy Spirit, right? So Jesus is the head of the church and Jesus told the church that the Holy Spirit's not going to speak anything of himself but only speak those things which he hears. So the Holy Spirit is listening from the head of the church. What do you want me to say to the church? And so now the Holy Spirit is ministering on the earth uh, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, uh, uh, you've got the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge by the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healings by the same spirit to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of tongues or discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing to, to every man severally as he will, individually as he will. So who decides if there's going to be a spiritual gift of manifestation? We just read it, right? Uh, as he wills, right? So this, the Holy Spirit is the one who decides if there's going to be a prophecy or a tongue or a miracle or healings. So he's the one who decides. What if I want to decide it? I really can't decide it because it's not my power, right? It's as he wills, right? Uh, and, and that's where in the charismatic world we've gotten into trouble because some, I've heard people say, well, I can just prophesy anytime I want to. I mean, that's not really true because uh, what if the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to in that moment? What if you'd rather you do something else like speak in tongues? then he's not, gonna, he's not going to empower you to prophesy if he doesn't will it, right? So we can't will it for him. We have to, we are the ones who are supposed to yield to the Holy Spirit. So if he wants it done, then we yield to him and that gets done, whatever spiritual gift it, it is. Now, and then we know general faith always works, right? So we have the general faith of Mark 16, where he says, for example, to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So that's general faith. We have that promise. Any of us can lay hands on the sick, and, they, and we can expect them to recover because of Mark 16. But the gifts of healings in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a manifestation of the Spirit. It's really the anointing of the Spirit. And, and uh, I think one of these days we're going to teach on the anointing. We, I was thinking, you know, we've never actually taught on the anointing, but I think it'd be good to do that at some point in time. But uh, these gifts and manifestations are above and beyond the general faith of the Christian. So they're as he wills. So... We don't need to wait on the Lord to do Mark chapter 16 because he already said, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. But here he says he reserves the nine spiritual gifts as he wills. And then, of course, and, and he does, right? He doesn't just, well, I'm never going to do it again. He does it on a regular basis. And if we'll yield, yield to that in the moment, then we can, we can um, uh, be used of the Lord in one of these gifts. But one of these gifts here in um, 1 Corinthians 12 is tongues and interpretation of tongues. So we know that tongues and interpretation of tongues is a New Testament only gift, right? The other nine uh, of the nine gifts of the Spirit mentioned here, the other seven, we find all of them in the Old Testament. We find all of them in the, in the ministry of Jesus. But we don't see tongues, interpretation of tongues at all anywhere until the day of Pentecost forward. So that was, that's, has been only a New Testament manifestation. 
Uh, and, you know, I think that's kind of cool. I think the Lord, you know, that the Lord gave us a gift that he, that nobody else in the history of, of the covenants with the Lord has ever operated until the New Testament. Uh, and so he gave us tongues. So now this tongue, inter- interpretation of tongues in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is as he wills. Versus if you look through the whole book of Acts, people were just speaking in tongues, right? Remember Acts chapter 2, they were all just speaking in tongues. There wasn't, there wasn't a manifestation uh, and they were just praying in tongues. So there is a public use of praying in tongues that 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about. Uh, and, and chapter 14 does talk about that as well. We'll go through it here in just a minute. But that's really the, the 1 Corinthians 12 use of speaking in tongues is for public use. So somebody has a tongue and then somebody interprets that so the church can be uh, strengthened and edified. But when you go home, you can speak in tongues anytime you want to because it's part of the gift and manifestation of the Spirit in your life. Uh, that's, you may or may not interpret it uh, when you get home. Now you can, and we'll, we'll see how that goes in chapter 14. So, so, the, so the, there's really two uses of speaking in tongues. There's a public use and there's a private use. The public use is as the Spirit wills, and He may move upon somebody to, to give a word in tongues uh, and then move upon somebody else. Could be the same person, could be somebody else different to uh, interpret that. Uh, And Paul covers some of those uh, specifics in chapter 14 because there was a lot of confusion in in Corinth. Now, if you look at all the other epistles, he spends more time talking about supernatural gifts and manifestations to the Corinthians than he does really all the other epistles combined. In fact, he he doesn't really say much about it at all in in 2 Corinthians, but he spends a lot of time in 1 Corinthians because he said earlier in, in the book of Corinthians that they come behind and no good gift. So, they had more gifts and manifestations in their church probably than any other church. And yet he also said that you are carnal and walk as mere unchanged men. So just because we have a prophecy, uh, does that mean we're, we're super uh, mature people? No. I mean, we could be as carnal as the day is long, right? Just because we speak in other tongues, does that mean we're the most spiritual people that there are? No. I mean, the, the Corinthians church was, was a very carnal church, right? Very fleshly. And at the same time, they were also very powerful in the supernatural gifts. Uh, and, and what we see a lot of times in the church is people will throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because a lot of times in a Pentecostal church, uh, you know, we're swinging from the chandeliers. And I got no problem swinging the chandeliers, but, you know, uh, sometimes it's not time to swing from the chandeliers. Sometimes it's time to open up the Bible and read a little bit, you know. Uh, and, and, um, and there's been a lot of, uh, in fact, uh, you know, we do uh, faith school on, on Wednesdays online with uh, some friends over in Ireland. And, and there's people that come from Ireland and we've had some folks from uh, Africa come and India. Uh, and, uh, and a lot of the folks that we, even though they're in, in Ireland, a lot of them are transplants from Africa, different places, mostly Zimbabwe. And uh, we got to talking about how in their churches, especially in Africa, that a lot of the witch doctor uh, things came into the church so that people would start, uh, for example, throwing bones at you uh, to, to get healed. But why, well, why do they do that? Because the witch doctors would throw bones at you to get healed, right? And they just said, well, that's, if we did that then, then that's what we need to do now to get healed. Well, there's nothing in the Bible that says throw a bone at somebody and they'll get healed, right? Uh, and they said they would, they would kind of go out in the spirit and their eyes would roll in the back of their head well, that's what they did when they were doing the witch doctor stuff, right? Or they'd flop on the ground like a, and, and slither like a snake. Uh, well, that's what they would do when they, when they were possessed with the devil, right? And they, they brought that in the church. 
and so there's a lot of fanaticism that's been brought into the church under the guise of Pentecostalism. Uh, and, and um, you know, there's no need for that. Now, I got no problem, you know, running around the church, dancing the Holy Ghost. You know, I got no problem with, you know, any of that. And I'm never uncomfortable. You know, I've run around the church many times, taken out a few music stands, you know. And I mean, you know, whatever it takes, right? Sometimes you, sometimes you just got to work it out, you know. And, and um, uh, you know, sometimes dancing the Holy Ghost is the only way that you can, that you can get that power off of you, you know. And, and, and if you've never experienced that, you know, uh, we'll give you an opportunity to dance in the Holy Ghost here after a while, right? But... Uh, so I got no problem with, with expressing uh, the Spirit of God. Uh, and, and, and look, and I have seen over the years many times in many circumstances where there is carnality in some of that, where somebody's not dancing the Holy Ghost, they're dancing, but it's not the Holy Ghost, right? Uh, and we know it, they know it, everybody knows it, but, you know, are you going to shoot them in the kneecap because they're, they, they're just trying to do their best? They don't know. I mean, they're, they're, just, they're just, you know, they're excited. They, they want to do something. So... You know, you've got to be careful of, of throwing a wet blanket on somebody just because, you know, they're a little out of order. Now, if they start trying to slither like a snake, you know, we'd probably have to stop weird stuff like that, right? Or, you know, if, if, any, if you throw a bone at me, you know, uh, then, then uh, I'll have a bone to pick with you, right? Uh, and so we're not going to be throwing no bones, but uh, so there's a balance to everything, I understand. But, uh, you know, I'd much rather have a little bit of flesh and, and with people's desire to find the Spirit of God then people never do anything because they don't want to ever be seen as being wrong. I mean, then, then don't do anything in life because uh, the only way to never make a mistake is to never do anything, right? Uh, and so, uh, so we've got to be careful about finding a balance in there. Um, and, um, and really the balance is if the Spirit of God isn't moving, you, then you open up the Bible and you, and you teach, right? That's what Jesus did. Sometimes all he had to do is teach. Uh, and so... Uh, Sometimes in a Pentecostal world, we think unless we're spitting cotton, that God's not moving. And, you know, that, and, and we get in the air real quick that way, right? And so there is a balance to everything. If the Lord wants to move and do wild things, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it, right? Uh, and so we're here then in, um, in chapter 14. And he says, follow after charity and dis- desire spiritual gifts. And remember, we read at the end of chapter 12, verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet I show you a more ex- excellent way. So that word gifts there in verse 31 is charisma, right? The Greek word charisma where we get charismatics from. So, you know, people say, are you Pentecostal charismatic? I mean, why are we fighting over things that don't matter, right? I mean, uh, it's all the same thing, right? I understand Pentecostalism is, and traditionally is thought of the more traditional uh, uh, denominational churches, like Church of God, you know, Assembly of God, that sort of thing. And that charismatics are kind of the new folks that came along in the 60s and the 70s. And we all love the Holy Spirit. We all want to see the gifts and manifestations of God in, in, in uh, moving in the church. And to me, there's no, it's, uh, it's uh, a difference without a distinction, right? It just doesn't matter. Uh, six of one, half a dozen of the other. And so we are supposed to desire the supernatural gifts. That's what he said. He said that in, cha- in chapter 12. He says it again here. In verse 1, follow after love. Uh, so love is always first, not the supernatural gifts, right? Love is always first. And then the spiritual gifts secondly, but rather that you may prophesy. So he's saying that, that of these gifts, prophecy is, is really important because the word prophecy uh, here in verse 1 is not the same meaning as we think in the Old Testament because we think that prophesying means 
you're telling the future. Uh, and in the New Testament, if you look up the word prophecy or prophesy, it means to speak by sudden inspiration. So in other words, what you're saying should be inspired by the Holy Ghost. Uh, and I, now, hopefully, if you're in the ministry, in the ministry gifts, everything you're saying, and I don't mean everything in the sense that, you know, thus saith the Lord is every single thing uh, we do. But in general, the ministry gifts should be operating by prophecy in everything that they teach because it should be coming by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, and, and so the, in the New Testament, prophesying means to speak by inspiration. It doesn't mean that, uh, uh, that you're telling the future. It can mean it, but in general, if you look back at the nine gifts and manifestations of the Spirit, the word of wisdom is really primarily for that purpose, to give you a wisdom about what things you're supposed to do in the future. Uh, and so that's really covered uh, for uh, uh, telling things about the future is really covered under the uh, word of wisdom. And so prophes- prophecy or prophesying is when the, the Spirit of God has a, a word in your heart and you just speak it out, whether you're sitting in the congregation or whether you're in the pulpit, uh, whatever it is, then you speak that word out. And that's not, generally speaking, it's not uh, intended for future events. It's just encouragement. In fact, we'll look at here as we go along because it tells us exactly the definition of these things. Uh, and so he said, if you're going if, if to pick one of them, pick prophesying because that's speaking by the Spirit of God. So if it's speaking by the Spirit of God, it should be valuable, right? It should be helpful to us. Uh, and so that's why he's doing that. Uh, because in general, if there's no sick people, then do you need the gifts and manifestations of healing? No, I mean, if there's no legs or arms growing to grow out, do you need uh, working in miracles? If no one's dead, do you need special faith? I mean, you know, I mean, uh, uh, a lot of gifts you won't need if there's no need for that particular gift. But prophesying is helpful to everybody all the time, right? So that's why he, he's picking that particular one out. He says in verse 2, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. So now verse 2, he's talking about your prayer life of, of speaking in tongues. That when you speak in tongues in your prayer life, you're speaking to God. Do uh, you think God understands you? Well, yeah, because he, he's the one who gave you the words, right? He's not about him going, anybody know what he's saying? I have no idea what he's saying. Hey, you, anybody, you got the interpreter? I don't know. I don't, uh, we don't have. No, he knows what you're saying. So you're speaking under God, right? You're not, you're not speaking unto men. Now, and that's why, like on the day of Pentecost, remember, they were all speaking with other tongues. And some people say, well, you can't all speak in tongues. Well, they did that in Acts chapter 2. Did the Lord call them out and say, and rebuke them all? No. Uh, uh, remember in, in, um, in Acts chapter 4, it says, and they all with one accord prayed. Uh, and did the Lord rebuke them for doing that? No. There, there are times when it's okay that the entire congregation is either praying together or praying out loud, you know, but gen- generally for the, for the same reason. But they could all be praying in other tongues. They could all be praying in English. And that's okay, right? It, it's... Some churches, they get really nervous if more than one person is doing anything. And, and we'll see part of the reason why is because they take things out of context and turn things into law that was never intended for that in, in, from the word of God here. So uh, ch- uh, verse 2 is talking about your use of praying in tongues for your own personal use. Uh, and at the end of it, he says, for how be it in the spirit, he speaketh mysteries. I know, I know we covered this, but it's been a couple of weeks since we're here. Uh, are there any mysteries to the Lord? Is there anything like, uh, you know, you ever said something, the Lord goes, man, I'm glad you told me that. I had no idea what that, what that was for. It's never a mystery to the Lord, right? There are no mysteries to the Lord. So who are the mysteries for? Us, right? We're the only ones who have mysteries. There are no mysteries on the Lord's side. So 
when we're praying in other tongues, part of the value of praying in other tongues is to speak out the mysteries of your life. What are you supposed to be doing tomorrow? What are you supposed to do, be doing? Do you know what those things are? Well, you don't know. So that's one reason to, to pray in other tongues to the Lord. I don't know what to do. I don't know which direction to go. So you spend time praying in other tongues to speak up those mysteries because once a mystery is spoken, you know, it's like a secret, right? Once a secret is spoken, it's no longer a secret. So you pray, pray in other tongues until the Lord fills you up with what that knowledge is of the things that you're supposed to do that before that were a mystery to you. You didn't know which direction to go. You didn't know which, which course to take. So that's one reason why, and we're going to go through several reasons why it's valuable to speak with other tongues because people, what's the purpose of it? There's no purpose of it. It's just weird. Well, right here is one of the greatest purposes of speaking other tongues is to find mysteries out in your life that you otherwise would not have known. Because if you're limited only to your intellect and what you can pray for, then how do you know what to pray for if you don't even know what to pray for? I mean, that's kind of an obvious statement, right? It's kept an obvious statement, I know. But, but that's why you pray for things you don't know by praying in other tongues. If you don't know them, they're a mystery to you. And so that's one of the greatest values. Uh, and I can't tell you how many times that I didn't know which, which direction to go in my life. And I just spent time in praying in other tongues. Spent just, Lord, I'm, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to pray in the Spirit, pray in other tongues. Uh, and I may get the answer then. I may get the answer tomorrow, the next day. You know, I don't have a time limit. It doesn't say how long it is before you get the answer. But, uh, but you will get the answer, right? Uh, and so you speak mysteries out. Uh, but then he says in verse 3, but he that prophesieth, in other words, speaks by sudden inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the words that the Lord gives to you to speak. And that's what you speak. Uh, you speak for, for these purposes. You speak unto men. So this is for public use. This is not for your personal use. This is for public use. You speak to men for, to edify, for edification, exhortation, and comfort. And you ever had anybody prophesy doom and gloom over you? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying to think. I don't, I don't guess... Well, I've had people kind of say, you know, correct me by the Spirit of God, you know, and they were saying it's God, but it was neither, it didn't fall in any one of these categories, right? It was more of an attack, right? Uh, and so it was not edification, it was not exhortation, and it sure wasn't comfort, right? So uh, prophesying has to fall into those three categories, right? So if you're speaking by inspiration of the Lord and say, you know, you're a horrible person and God's mad at you. Uh, I mean, does that fit into one of those three categories? You know, I mean, I don't see that. It fits in those three categories. What's that? It doesn't feel like it, it, doesn't feel like it right? Um, uh, and so to edify means to build up and to strengthen, right? Uh, that's, you know, where you get encouraged, and, and these are all very similar, right? Uh, uh, exhorting uh, means to compel, or, you know, usually you use exhorting of follow the Lord, right? Do what the Word says. Uh, always yield to the Spirit of God. You know, exhort means to compel or to, to beg and to plead, you to do something right so uh again that should be in, in a positive sense right and to comfort uh the lord knows all of the things that we go through and sometimes it's helpful to be comforted in the things that we're going through right uh, all is well you know that's a great i love that just that phrase alone bring comfort to me right but if the lord gives me those words to speak even though i may know all this well but he may he may give me the unction to say to you all is well and in that moment that's a prophecy a prophecy because it's by sudden inspiration. It's because the Spirit of God prompted me to say those words to you. Uh, and really, uh, on a daily basis, in our, church, in our church walk, in our walk with the Lord, we can learn to yield to the spirit of prophecy and yield to the spirit of sudden inspiration of speaking the very words that somebody needs. 
You ever just spoken a word and somebody comes back and says, you know what you said the other day was exactly what I needed to hear. Now, you don't need to brag, oh, you know, it's, it wasn't me. It was just the Lord working through me. You know, don't do anything foolish like that. Just say, you know, that's awesome. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad it was a help to you, right? Don't fake humility and, uh, and, and, and also don't brag. Well, you know, the Lord used me a lot in that way, you know, more than like you, right? Uh, I mean, you know, sometimes people have a hard time with staying humble uh, with the Lord. Uh, but really, this, this is for the church, right? This is now these manifestations are for the whole church, right? They're not just for the ministry gifts. And, and every Christian has the ability to operate in all these gifts. What you'll find just in general is that the Lord will use ministry gifts in a consistent way, the fivefold ministry gifts in a consistent way in some of these, uh, these uh, manifestations. Uh, but all Christians have the ability to do this. And, and I think that's the reason why prophecy is, is picked out as being really the, uh, rather that you may prophesy as one of the highest, most valuable uh, gifts is because uh, to speak by sudden inspiration is of great value to the people around you. To say the exact right words to assist somebody in, in any of those areas, in edification, exhortation, or comfort. Uh, to, speak, to speak by the Spirit of God in one of those areas is of great value to everybody around you. And that can be a value even to those that are outside the church, right? Because if, if you just say the right thing, always around the lost, then they're going to be interested in knowing more about where you go to church or, you know, what you know, right? Uh, and so, uh, but to do that, and, and so I want to take just a minute here about that. You know, in, in all of these things, all the manifestations of the Spirit of God uh, require two things. One, of course, it requires the Spirit of God, right? That's kind of obvious there. But two, it requires uh, two things from you. Number one, it requires faith for you to believe that it's God, Right, that's saying those things to you because some I just don't know if it's me or God. Well, see, then you're not in faith yet. You've got to learn and train yourself to know whether it's God or not. And two, be willing to yield to that. Uh, and, um, you know, Brother Hagin said one thing that, that I always thought was, was an amazing, helpful statement. He said, you know, the church, uh, if you go to a word church, and, you know, I believe this is a word church, you hear the word of God, you know, all the time here. I mean, we, you know, we'll, we'll cover the whole New Testament sometimes in a whole service, right? Uh, sometimes. Uh, he said, if you go to a word church, the issue oftentimes isn't that you need more Bible. He said, the issue oftentimes is that you need to learn to yield to the Spirit of God more. Uh, and uh, in the area of prophesying, uh, and again, it's not thus saith the Lord all the time. In fact, I rarely, if ever, even say those words because I don't want to be a name dropper and act like, oh, you know, I'm such a prophet of God, you know. Because sometimes people think because they prophesy, they're a prophet. Well, prophesying doesn't make you a prophet. Being a prophet is what makes you a prophet. You know, being called is what makes you a prophet. Um, but those two things are really important. You've got to have faith in the Spirit of God. That, uh, that these, this unction I sense in my heart is the Spirit of God. Uh, and then be willing to yield to that. Because if you don't do those two things, then you're of limited use to the Lord. Because you may sense, how many times have you said, oh, I just wish I'd said that. Well, that's where there was an unction of the Holy Spirit for you to say something, but you, didn't, you, were, you weren't willing to have either the faith that it was him or being yielded enough to yield to those words and say those words. Uh, and we've got to train ourselves that, uh, now, you know, that, that is different than, well, you know, I just say whatever I think. That will get you in trouble real quick, right? 
because it's not what's in your mind that what people need. It's what's in your spirit is what they need, right? So some people, there's no filter between their brain and their mouth. I mean, they, man, you know, when are you going to get a haircut? What's wrong with you, right? I mean, you ever had people say stuff like that? I've had people say stuff like that all the time. You know, wow, you know, and they said that to my wife, you know, wow, look at your hair, you know. It's like, what's wrong with you, you know? Uh, and um, see, that's not prophesying. That's called flesh, right? That's called carnality. Uh, well, you know, I just, if I, if I think it, I'm just going to say it. You know, uh, we need to grow up, right? And so it's not in our mind, right? It comes out of our spirit man. Our, our, it comes out of the Holy Spirit, which resides in our spirit man. And so it should come up out of our bellies, the Bible says. And so it doesn't come from our head. It comes from the Holy Spirit. So you get that unction, you know, to say something. And it's usually just a word of encouragement. It's not, thus saith the Lord, you know, tomorrow at sunset, you know, somebody's going to drop a bag of money in your front doorstep. Uh, and uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know if you see the same things I see on Facebook, but how many times have you seen a Facebook that says, Tomorrow you're going to receive a big cash influx. B- say amen and, and receive it. Yeah, pa- but you've got to pass it on to 10 people, right? Can, does, uh, it, nobody's ever done that here, right? If you have, I'm going to pull your card. I mean, so give me your card, you know. You, I mean, that's just like, it, I don't know, something about that's like nails on a chalkboard to me. It's like, I mean, because to me, it diminishes the Lord. It's so fake and so, I mean, it's it just, it's just, uh, uh, horoscope is all it is, right? You might as well say Pisces or whatever, you know. Probably it's cancer, right? Uh, but, um, I mean, it's just, it's the worst. I mean, it's just, it's just terrible. And so don't be writing stuff like that on Facebook. If, you know, if you're writing stuff like that on Facebook, don't do that, right? Uh, but you, you've got to uh, learn how to, uh, first of all, sense that unction to say something, sense that unction to edify, exhort, or to comfort, uh, believe it's the Lord, and then yield to it. Uh, because you're of no value to the world unless you're willing to yield to the Holy Spirit, right? Because he's supposed to lead us and guide us in all these things, right? He's supposed to be the one who gives us the unction to do these things. And all of us in the church uh, can and should develop that training in our own hearts of doing that. Because how many times have you said something? I can't tell you how many times I've said something and I, and I go back home or something and the Lord's like, why'd you say that? Now, how many times you said, I wish I hadn't said that? Uh, because you know the conviction of the Lord comes upon you and, and, and you regret saying those things, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many times the Lord's rebuked me. over, uh, And there's been so many times where nobody else knew that what I said was wrong except for the Lord. And he'd be like, that little, that little comment there? No. Uh, and what's he doing? He's training me to only yield to the unction and not yield to my flesh, right? Not yield to just, well, I believe it. I'm just going to say it, right? Man, you know. Uh, where'd you get that outfit from? I mean, wow, what in the world, you know? Uh, you know, that, it, it just is that for edification, exhortation, and comfort? Well, then it's not prophecy, right? It's not speaking by sudden inspiration. It's there to just harm somebody. Uh, and if your words are, are spoken to harm somebody, you are not prophesying. You know, the Lord can correct us, and, and he does, right? But even in correction, if the purpose of your correction is not to help somebody, you're still wrong. Uh, because... You know, I know Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that he will chastise his own children, right? Uh, but every time he chastises, chastises us, it's to help us. Uh, and, uh, and for me personally, you know, my experience with the Lord over these many years is uh, he's corrected me. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times. It's just, you know, sometimes, and I've asked him, Lord, do you do this to other people? Because it seems like you're just always on me about things, right? And, uh, but even in that, every time he corrects me, 
you know, he may say well, what you said was wrong. But along with that, he always brings a revelation of why that was wrong, why it was harmful to that person, why I shouldn't have said that, uh, to teach and instruct me to not do it next time. But I've seen a lot of people, when they bring correction, it's to harm you. To, well, you're just no count. God can never use someone like you. Uh, God will never use you again. Well, that is not edification, exhortation, or comfort. It doesn't fit into any of those categories. And you've got no business doing that because uh, people, a lot of times, they will say things, even if there's a spark of truth from the Lord, they'll say it either to lord it over you or say it to harm you, to put you in your place. You know, their motivation is wrong, even if it may have been originally the Spirit of God, but because it has to come through imperfect vessels of, of people, many times we'll take that and we'll add our own slant to it and add our own tone to it and turn it from what should have been a correction of love to a rebuke to harm. Uh, and, and that, then we, be, we get out of order. We are no longer in the order of the Lord. We're, we're doing things in our own strength and our own ability for our own agenda. And I can't tell you how many times, I mean, people have done that in my life, just say things and I knew, well, there's a nugget of truth there, but their, their desire was to bring harm to my life, was to hurt my feelings or to cause me to second guess everything in my life or to make me think that God doesn't even love me. Uh, uh, and, and it's unfortunate but you remember James said that sweet water, bitter water comes from the same fountain. And he said, brethren, these things, what? I'll not be so. Well, he said that about brethren, about the Christian church, right? And you ever been talking to somebody and it's just as sweet as can be. And the next thing you know, they say something's like, wow, what in the world did that come from? Well, that's sweet and bitter waters come from the same fountain, you know, and James said it ought not be so. Why did he say it ought not be so? Because sometimes it's so. I mean, you don't need for him to say something that's not going to happen, right? I mean, sometimes it happens. It's unfortunate, but it happens. So prophesying is speaking by sudden inspiration of an unction from the Holy Spirit that you get. And, and that, that's not a, thus saith the Lord, you know, there's going to be a, a tornado coming tomorrow and, you know, everybody hunker down and get in your... That's, that's not the general use of prophesying. The general use of prophesying is in the moment, what you need to hear is what I have to say. Uh, and it may be the smallest, hey, you know, all is well. You know, God loves you. You know, uh, uh, it's going to be okay. That may be the whole thing. It may not be any more sophisticated than that. But because that person, where they're at in their life, the Lord knows exactly where they are, they needed to hear one word of encouragement. And, that, and that, that'll set them on, right? That'll, that'll put them exactly where they need to be. So, and that's why I think the Lord spent uh, time here uh, telling us that prophesying is one of the most important things that we can do. So get your mind renewed that prophesying does not equal uh, being a prophet, right? Uh, being a prophet is a, is a specific fivefold minister gifts that they do prophesy and they, they do say, thus saith the Lord, and they do uh, can uh, both foretell, uh, which means tell things of the future, but also foretell by sudden inspiration. They can do those things, and the Lord will use uh, prophets for those specific purposes, uh, but they have other purposes too. You want to go back and rehash all the purpose of the, the fivefold ministry gifts, in, in, including the prophet. Uh, but just because you're, you're used of God one way does not automatically mean that you're going to be a faithful minister gift. Well, I, I, you know, I prophesied about lunch yesterday, and so, you know, God's going to make me a prophet uh, to the nations, like Jeremiah or somebody. Um, no, uh, you'll know uh, when you're called, right? You'll know, and, and the people around you will know when you're called. It's not really a mystery to anybody. Uh, and so, I think we're about out of time for today, but... Um, that's not really talking about tongues. You know, he, he kind of goes back, goes back to speaking in tongues uh, for much of the rest of the chapter.
But I, I just wanted to make sure we got up to verse 3 there and make sure that we understand the value of prophesying. So really all of us can and should be used in prophesying, right? All of us can and should be used. And, and if, that, if that, you know, if you have a hard time getting past that word, just uh, change it what the definition is. All of us can and should be used to be able to speak by sudden inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's the general use of prophesying for the church. And, and that's all of us can and should train ourselves to do that, right? Uh, and, and the nice thing about prophesying is if you train yourself to yield to the Spirit of God to say the right thing, you will have also trained yourself to not say anything when it's not necessary, right? You know, people just, they just can't, you know, just like this all the time, right? Uh, I knew a, a guy I used to go to church with, and I mean, after a while, it's like, he just, I don't know, I just, I just didn't like being around him because all he'd ever, he just talked, right, all the time. And, and you know, I mean, some people just uh, more outgoing than others. So I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, sometimes people just say that, you know, hey, well, wow, you know, uh, uh, who picked out your clothes today, right? Obviously, it wasn't you. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, I'm saying people just say things just like, wow, you know, that could have been unsaid. You could have gone all your life and not said that, right? Uh, and so, uh, and, and so the more that you train yourself to yield to the Spirit of God, the more that you train yourself to say the right thing in the right moment and be a blessing for edification, exhortation, and comfort uh, to the church and also to the world, right? Because it's, it's the move of the Holy Spirit. It's prophesying, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, it's valuable to the world uh, because if you edify the world and encourage them, they will be encouraged to come to the Lord, right? Because exhorting is to compel people. Well, one of the greatest uses of exhorting is to exhort people to get saved, right? Uh, and so ex exhorting is, a, uh, is an office in the church. It's not the fivefold office, but uh, again, we don't have time to go on all that. Maybe we'll cover back next week. But, um, so I, 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 I agree with Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 that prophesying should be really high in your desires, right? He said desire spiritual gifts. Uh, but rather that you may prophesy. If he said that, then what should we do? Desire spiritual gifts, especially that we prophesy, right? Uh, especially that we have the ability to speak by sudden inspiration of the Lord in the moment that we're in to say the exact right thing to be a blessing to those around us. Amen. Uh, and so, uh, so we'll pick this up again next week, continue with uh, the prayer of uh, praying with other tongues because it's just, if the Lord spent that much time uh, to speak to all of uh, the book of Acts, all of this stuff in 1 Corinthians, uh, both in chapter 12 and 14 and other places, if he spent that much time on, on one doctrine, it's got to be pretty important. Amen? Because the Lord decided, out of all the things he could have put down in words for us, he decided to put these things down for us. So if he decided these are the important things, because there's, there's just more information than he could ever put in a single book, right? So he decided these are the things that we needed to know the most. And so there are no unnecessary things written in the word of God. Everything is important to us. And, and you can look at how much the Lord emphasizes one topic and that should tell us how important that topic is to the Lord if he spends that much time on it. Amen. Uh, and so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Father, uh, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, first of all, Father. We thank you that um, you gave this to us and to our children and to all those that are far off that you desire your church to, to be filled with the Spirit, to have the Spirit of God come upon us, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. All of these things are the same thing that you talked about, Father, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues so that we can do exactly what you've instructed us to do, Father, to pray out mysteries and to, to speak with other tongues as necessary, Father. We thank you for these things, and we give you the praise 
and the honor for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise God. Well, let's, let's get ready to see this evening's offering. And, um, um, you know, I don't know that we've really gone in, into this much uh, detail about praying with other tongues, uh, but I think it's helpful, amen, to, especially in the Pentecostal church. We ought to know why that is because, the, you know, much of the world, much of the, well, not the world, but much of the other church who doesn't believe in speaking other tongues, they'll almost shame you. Oh, you're one of those, you know, speaking other tongues, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, you don't speak other tongues, you know. Um, and so come ahead, Mr. Jared, and receive the offering. Um, now, I know when I was young and zeal, full of zeal and not very intelligent, you know, I, you know well, you're just wrong if you don't pray with other, speak with other tongues, you know. In fact, I, I would question your salvation. Uh, it, it, you can get to heaven without speaking other tongues. It is possible, right? Uh, but, um, uh, but it won't be nearly as fun. Uh, it'll be a whole lot more fun if you get uh, baptized with the Holy Ghost. Amen? Uh, and full of joy. So, uh, don't forget, uh, we've got, uh, we got church on, uh, uh, we don't have prayer, that's next month, right? Uh, church on Sunday morning, 1030, and uh, be blessed, have a wonderful week, Lord, and if you get a chance, pray in other tongues this week, right? And we'll see you on Sunday.